everybody, I am here today with John Graham. He is the CEO of Adsy. How are you doing today, John? I am doing well. How are you? I am doing great. So uh, very excited about the interview today. Uh, Adsy has some really unique technology, and John and I are going to be talking about helping small businesses to leverage online marketing and social media and things like that for in-store sales. Um, but before we get into that, John, I'd love to get your backstory. Um, how did you end up with Adzi? What were you doing before that? Give us a little bit of your backstory, if you would. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually graduated from you know four-year university back in 2012. I got my business degree, sure. and I went to work for a local ISO um, so that was really the um, you know first job I ever had was in the payments business. Nice. And I did that for just over three years. Um, I wasn't really exposed to like the point of sale side at all um, while working there. And then ultimately, I had some ideas about you know starting my own business, and I really um, you know had some ideas about incorporating like data and marketing right. um, into restaurants. Um, so ultimately, I left there. I started my first business, which was Table Crunch, where we worked with exclusively restaurants, and we were kind of doing a lot of new things. Like we were experimenting with things like Wi-Fi marketing, and you know, tying that right. into the social me media marketing we were offering. Um, we started selling, you know, point of sale systems. So we were really an early adopter of selling cloud point of sale systems. So we learned a lot. Right. Um, some good, some some bad. <laughs> sure. um, but then ultimately, it was while I was running Table Crunch that it kind of dawned on me one day, I was like, you know, overall, I think our customers are happy with our social media marketing. But the ones that are leaving us is because we don't have any proof that what we're doing is actually working. Right. Um, and that's when I ultimately kind of had the light bulb moment that, well, wait a minute, you know, we're selling social media marketing, we're experts in payment processing, um, we're pretty darn good at selling point of sale systems. This should all be intertwined somehow. So sure. that's when, um, you know, I kind of set out on a path to, you know, hire a development team and ultimately build our own software. So that's when we, uh, you know, basically formed Adzi. Yeah. And it's, it's so fascinating to me, John, because um, I get pitched, you know, as you might imagine, a lot from companies that are like, hey, we have this thing that we want you to help us get into the merchant services industry to get the distribution. But the technology generally doesn't have anything to do with payments, like, you know, other than it increases revenue or something. But your marketing play is really tying these online and offline worlds together a little bit. So what I was hoping you could do just to kind of set the stage for this Talk to us, you know, we have merchant services reps, we have ISO executives and owners on here. Why is this such an important thing for small business owners, you know, to implement this concept of tying the offline and online worlds together? Can you give us a little flavor of why that's such a big deal right now? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the best way to kind of explain it is to just kind of, you know, look at a retailer and compare them to their competitors in the online world. So like if I'm a person and I want to start an online business, you know, odds are I'm probably pretty tech savvy, right? Like I probably right. have some experience with building websites. I'm probably privy on SEO. Um, I'm probably exposed to Facebook, Instagram, and Google ads. And if I'm not, I better find someone who's an expert in all of those categories because that's the only way that, you know, an e-commerce business can really acquire customers. Right. But when they do that stuff correctly, it affords them the you know really big competitive advantage in the sense that they can start to understand key business metrics like what does it actually cost us to acquire a customer you know what like actual mediums are generating the most customers for our business mm -hmm. and when you look at most retailers all of those things are really just big question marks because there's always kind of been that missing link because their transactions happen offline 
um, they've never really been able to understand the correlation between the online, you know, ads and activities relative to their in-store sales. Um, so it's a really big opportunity for retailers who want to get serious about capturing data um, and want to get serious about their marketing. Um, so it all starts with, you know, the point of sale. You got to start capturing that data in order to really streamline your marketing efforts and be able to actually track your marketing efforts. Yeah. I, so I want to dig into this a little bit because this is so interesting. Um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, John, but in my experience working with a lot of small business owners, you know, we don't talk about it very much, but small business owners really do spend a pretty good amount of money on average, at least the ones I have talked to, they do spend a lot of money on marketing, you know, whether it's their, you know, yellow pages ad, if they're, you know, whatever, or it's a billboard, or maybe even they're, they're starting to dabble in Facebook marketing or some Google AdWords stuff or whatever, and they're spending this money. But it sounds like what you're saying is they look at that ad spend as a necessary evil. They hope that it's doing something. They still have people coming into their business, but it sounds like you're saying they really aren't managing that investment very well because they have no idea what their return on investment is for these various things they're doing. Is that kind of what you're saying? You're absolutely right. Um, and I'm constantly amazed by how much money these folks are spending. Like we just had a local jewelry store that, you know, they're putting together their yearly budget and it was $50,000. Right. Um, and I think a lot of people listening would be very surprised to hear that. Yeah. Um, so there is a really big opportunity when you bring both the marketing and payments together to you know, ultimately maximize your you know profit margins per merchant. Um, but also, yeah, you're absolutely right that you know it's easy for us to go in and say, well, you spent fifty thousand dollars last year. You know, what was your return on investment? And then they kind of look at us like a deer in the headlights, right. like, what do you mean? Right. Um, because you know most people catering to the SMBs, most companies really don't have any tools to show that return on investment for the offline world. So, um, you know, I'm a firm believer the best products are ones that solve a problem. Yep. And when we kind of realize that, that's like, wow, we're kind of like, wow, we, we really have to do something about this. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because I think for most uh, of the listeners right now, they've been looking at social media marketing. Let's say let's take Facebook ads as an example. They look at that as the reason you can sell that to a business owner is because it's so convincing to them to be able to say you need to be doing Facebook ads because it's the next thing, it's the new thing, and I can show you how many video views you got or or your reach or whatever. But really, what Adsy is doing, in my opinion, from for the sales rep is. It's actually a different value proposition. We're actually saying, look, the reason you should be doing these online advertising and social media ads is not just because it's the new thing. You should do it because you can actually measure it and you know that it's working or not working, right? Absolutely. Um, and it's a really easy sell in the sense that we're reallocating a commoditized service that they pay for, right? Right. So, like, I hate to call payment processing a commodity, but it really has it gone in that direction sure. to where – when we walk through the doors, we say, look, you know, you're paying two to 3% every month to accept credit cards. We're literally going to unlock the data flowing through your business and turn it into your best friend to actually market and grow your business. And guess what? It's a hundred percent trackable. So we offer, right. th you know, free 30 day trials all the time. Um, since our inception, everyone we've offered a 30 day trial to has signed on and every one of them is still a paying customer of Adzi. Um, so that is really the key differentiator is people want to know, you know, the, they work, work hard for their money. They, they want to know, is this working sure. or is it not working? Hmm. 
Yeah, I love it. Okay, so let's let's break this down a little bit. I think we got the general concept. So, you know, the first piece of this, and the and the one, frankly, that's been the most frustrating, I think, for a lot of smaller ISOs in, in implementing these things is, you know, there actually has to be some advertising. So that means, you know, it's, it's one thing to say, hey, go get me a, I want a billboard. Well, that's a pretty well established thing. Like the billboard company has a designer, they make the billboards and all that. Talk to us about how your yeah. platform is enabling small business owners to, and again, we're using Facebook. I think that's going to be the most common one. You know, how are you enabling a business that currently isn't doing Facebook marketing to then actually make that happen and do some online advertising from the, you know, content side of it? Like, how are you enabling them to do this? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and we've really gone back and forth on this to where, like, you know, as a software company, we want to be scalable to where we don't want to be sitting there doing daily posts every day. So we do not do that, but we will help all of our clients with actually launching their ads for Facebook and Instagram. But the way we've built our software is really to streamline everything so that the merchants, even if they're doing it themselves, they're doing it the correct way. And just to kind of paint you that picture, uh, we have an onboarding process. So the first thing that we do is we'll look at their website and we'll say, you know, okay, is there a Facebook pixel on their website? Now, for our listeners who aren't as privy on this stuff like you and I, James, a Facebook pixel is essentially a snippet of code that's generated by Facebook that you need to install on your website because what it does is when people are clicking on your paid ads, you know, what are those people doing? They're showing interest in your business. So when they land on your website, we need to have a means to actually retarget them with future ads because on average, they're going to need to see your ads over 10 times before they ever step foot in your business and actually make a purchase. So that's step one, we'll set up the pixel, we'll connect it to our software. And then step two is we're actually gonna set up their ad account. So if they have an ad account, we'll provision it to where it's tied to the Adzi software. If they don't have an ad account, we'll set it up for them. And then finally, we'll actually tie their Facebook, you know, page and their Instagram page to the Adzi software. Um, And then there actually is one more step as well, where we're integrated to what we call Facebook's offline events API. So for you know, lack of a better word, this is really just an easy means for us to actually um, take data at the point of sale and right. automate sending it to Facebook so that we can track if anyone is seeing our ads and then coming in and spending money within 28 days, we can show that back to the business owner. So you know, we'll set all of this up for them. It usually takes 20 to 30 minutes um, to where even if the merchant is gonna do their own marketing, we have it in our portal where it's step one, you're going to name your ad. Step two, um, you can actually use your existing point of sale data to create custom audiences. You can do all the detailed targeting. Um, and then step three, you upload your picture, put in your text and hit send. And it's going to go out throughout the entire Facebook audience network, which includes Instagram. Um, so I think that was um, one thing that we really did right. Because as you know, like the Facebook backend is just so complex and oh it's my. always, always changing yes. to where in our experience, none of our clients, none of our clients are actually logging into business manager and running targeted ads. But <laughs> right. we've just you really dumbed that down to step one, step two, step three, to where the average consumer after you know a 30 minute training, they can actually run their own targeted ads. Yeah, I like that. So, so it does sound, there's a bunch of things you just said that I want to clarify. So so let's start with the content. So it sounds like what you're saying is you've created a program that once you have an image, once you have some copy, um, you've created something that makes it very streamlined to take that content and leverage it into an ad. But the business owner is still responsible for, you know, maybe using something like an Upwork.com or a local ad agency or whatever, somebody else to actually create the ad itself. Is that right? 
Um, actually, that's not right. So I'm sorry. I was probably a little confusing on that. So we have two different packages. Okay. Um, and it really depends if they're using our payments or if they're not. But let's say if they're not using our payments, they're just using software. Um, for $99, that's our DIY to where they just have to, you know, build their own creative and come up with the verbiage. Okay. And then they'll actually run the ads through our software. Whereas we have a $250 package, which is actually the most common package where we actually will do the creative for them. We'll create all the ad copy and run the ad for them. So we'll really do it all for them. Well, that's great. And we and, did, it, and I yep. think too is worth clarifying that you know a two hundred and fifty dollar a month. There's people listening right now that are like, oh my word, you know they're upset about a fifteen dollar a month fee on the statement. But what you don't understand yeah. is you know that business owner is spending probably at, if they're a decent if they're like a, a a reasonably successful small business, they're spending two to three, maybe even five thousand a month on advertising. And the cool thing is with Facebook ads. You know, hitting a targeted audience is just so cheap. It's hard to even explain how cheap it is that to spend the 250 bucks is minimal because you're probably then going to layer on top of that maybe, you know, between 300 to 1000 a month, I would guess, in Facebook ad dollars. So now you're spending somewhere around that $1,000 a month. And for that amount of money, you can actually get some, like, serious results. Am I right there, John? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's interesting. We've had jewelry stores who spend, you know, 300 bucks on ads and then they're spending, you know, 250 bucks for us to actually manage the ads. And they'll have someone come in and buy a diamond engagement ring for $5,000 um, within, right. you know, 90 days of signing on with us. Right. Um, so we don't have any issues with return on investment. Uh, we do see much higher return on investment for like restaurants just because, you know, our product is really heavily reliant on data. Um, so like if you have a jewelry store, they might only do 80 transactions a month. So that means that, for those 80 people checking out at the point of sale, we got to be you know, sure that we're doing a good job getting emails and phone numbers um, to actually track those conversions. Whereas we might have a restaurant doing 4,000 transactions with pay at the table um, to where you know, we're going to see much higher conversions. But when we started you know, testing our software and when we went to market, we actually strategically wanted to start with jewelry stores because we knew the data capture would be really low. Um, so our thought process was, you know, if we can get conversions in this environment, then we really should be able to get them in any environment. Sure. So let's let's clarify that a little bit as far as the data. So on the point of sale side, um, it sounds like what you're saying is in order for Adzi to know that the person making this purchase came from the Facebook ad, then Facebook needs to know who that person is, which means at the point of sale, we need either a, a phone number or an email address. We're going to then send that as an offline event to Facebook and say, hey, the, a person with this phone number and this email address made this purchase. So then Facebook can say, oh, we know who that person is, and they're one of the people that saw your ad on Facebook. Is that is that kind of how it works? Yeah, exactly how it works. And that's why we're really reliant on smart technology. Um, so we started with Point, and then we're moving upstream with you know a bunch of different um, you know cloud-based systems to where sure. uh, we don't necessarily always have to be integrated either. To where like a lot of these modern systems like you know Square and Toast, like you can export a lot of that data to where we can still send it to the offline event sets. But when it's fully integrated, it's just totally it's a, a seamless process to where you know as long as they're entering that email and phone number like you had mentioned. Um, it's a hundred percent trackable. Sure. So let's start, let's go just a little bit further down the rabbit hole with the content for just a second. So you know you have this two hundred fifty dollars package, which means you're creating these ads and, and things like that, and creating the content. Give us an example. Like you talked about jewelry stores and stuff. I mean, what's the kind of ad that people are running? Like, give us an example of how that's that's driving foot traffic to their business. 
Yeah, absolutely. So today's Valentine's Day. So um, we'll use that as an example. Um, We have a local jewelry store that we've been running ads for the last month um, to where we're targeting specifically males um, wanting to, you know, buy their significant others, you know, a gift for Valentine's Day. And we strategically did a campaign for items under $300 with, you know, same in-store, same day in-store pickup. Um, So we've been using the Adzi software where we created um, a real nice, you know, content for them, you know, a couple different pictures that we did some split AB testing on. Um, And then ultimately we came up with the ad copy and um, it's been working really well. You know, they have people actually coming into the store um, and actually telling them that we saw your ads online, they're making a purchase. And then we're also seeing the conversion data in their portal. Um, So, you know, we'll get strategic. Like, you know, one of the things we really like to do is we looked at all the corporate jewelry stores. So like K Jewelers uh, specifically, we noticed they were doing a campaign to go after males and they had items under a thousand dollars, under seven fifty, under five hundred, under two fifty. Now we didn't go in, into as much detail as they did because um, we just didn't have a whole lot of time. Right. But sure. we uh, basically kind of replicated what they were doing with just items under three hundred, and it worked out really well for us. Hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, it's so interesting. And, and the funny thing too that I could tell our, our listeners is, you know, because I just to clarify, I mean, I, I used to do this as well. Uh, you know, not nearly on the scale you guys are with the technology, but what I would do is when I was out selling processing, I also had a marketing company where we did websites and Facebook ad campaigns. So one thing that's so interesting, John, isn't it funny how magical the business owner, like when somebody comes in with their, you know, trifle brochure or the the billboard mm-hmm. or something, it's like, yeah, okay, cool. We would do that for a long time. But it's like the first few people that come in that are like, I saw your Facebook ad. <laughs> the business owner is just like, oh, this is amazing. Like I finally made it, you know, like, isn't it funny how they, they really do value these conversions? Like, uh, like, wow, that's uh, for one thing, it is really cheap on Facebook, but just this idea that like, I'm actually driving traffic from online. I mean, small business owners are really intoxicated by this, right? Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, the response is really what kind of gets me out of you know bed in the morning. It's exciting to know that right. we're actually making a financial impact in our clients. Yeah. Um, because, you know, when you're selling payment processing, you know, shaving a hundred bucks a month is great, but you know, that business owner is not going to go, you know, jump on the next plane and take a vacation because they're saving a hundred bucks a month. Like they're honestly not going to feel it. Right. Um, whereas when we can, you know, show them a thousand dollar conversion, they're going to feel that. Um, and it's really interesting too, James, because, you know, a lot of the people, like you had mentioned, they're already spending this money. So for this jewelry store in particular, we're actually cheaper than they were paying their previous marketing company where they had really no results because the previous marketing company, like their whole strategy was we're going to put out a daily post and they didn't use any ad spend. So guys <laughs> like me and you, you know, we're privy on that to where you got to have an ad spend because of Facebook's course. changed those algorithms to where that daily post does nothing for your business. You know, you're just not getting any exposure. So, you know, it's really a game changer when we take someone off those organic, you know, posts and put them into a paid strategy that's trackable. Right. And it's so funny because business owners a lot of times think, oh, you know, I'm putting these posts out and, you know, and they're just kind of frustrated that they have to pay at first. It's like, what do you mean I have to pay for these, you know, to get these people to see the post? They already liked my page. Well, number one, yes, Facebook does want to make money. Um, but number two, when you actually realize the, the level of investment necessary, it's, it's ridiculously low. I mean, like you want to boost a post, you spend 20 bucks, 50 bucks on a post. And it's like, wow, like the reach that you get is pretty insane. Um, you know, I feel like, so, okay. I want to back up for one second though, John. So you mentioned a second ago point. Um, I think I also saw that you guys work with, with Clover. Is that right? 
Yeah, so we're actually, our development is done. We're just actually still waiting on them to approve our application. Got it. So okay. it should be any day. Now. So that one's in the pipeline. Yep. Um, and so, th- which I mean, just those two, that, that you know, that pretty much uh, does a lot. But talk for just one second about ISV. So I'm sure we have people listening who are, you know, they have a point of sale system um, that, you know, they, they own the point of sale company, some kind of a niche point of sale for a hair salon or for, you know, quick service restaurants or whatever. Um, are you guys actively looking for ISV partnerships as well as far as those integrations? Do you have like APIs and stuff? Could you talk for just a second about that piece of it? Yeah, absolutely. We've built the whole product to be really open-ended to where it's okay. very easy for us to integrate to, you know, future point of sale systems. And um, we're totally open to those conversations and we're actively seeking out a lot of those partnerships. Um, as you know, like some point of sale companies are more reluctant to um, work with the smaller companies like us because we're still starting out. Um, but then, you know, there's a lot of them that are very open-ended like Clover and Point. So, yeah, our kind of our game plan moving forward is we want to make the product as scalable as possible by integrating to as many systems as possible. But then we've also, you know, are in talks about just building out our product to where we, again, don't necessarily have to be integrated um, because if we just export once a month and import to our system, it's still going to send that data to the offline event sets through Facebook. We can still use the data for our email marketing as well as our Facebook and Instagram marketing. Sure. Got it. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes total sense. Okay. Yeah, I, I see what you mean because most point of sale systems are going to have some kind of an export of, you know, customer data. So as long as the as long as the, the merchant is actively collecting email addresses and or phone numbers in their existing POS system, whatever that might be, and as long as they have the ability to export that data, you know, they could use Adz successfully, right? Yeah, absolutely. We're so focused on restaurants now. So like it's more and more restaurants are moving to pay at the table. Um, Clover actually just released yesterday the new scan to pay, um, which is really exciting because basically the way that works. Yeah. So like you get a receipt with a QR code on it and the consumer, they don't have to download any apps. They can just pull out their iPhone and click on their um, camera to where it'll pull up the camera. And as long as they hover their camera over that QR code, they can actually use their Apple wallet to pay and tip the you know, server and then just walk out of the restaurant right. and then it sends a signal back to the Clover dining to where the bar tab or the table actually turned green. Um, so the business knows that they already paid. But what's really cool about that is everyone that does it is going to, you know, opt for an email or phone number receipt. Um, so that really helps drive up the overall data capture. Right. Right. Got it. Yeah. That, that makes total sense. So yeah, I'm just kind of curious about that piece of it. Uh, I hadn't talked to you about that before, but I know a lot of ISVs obviously. And so I was just curious about that. So, um, all right. So then let's talk about the other group of listeners here for our last thing. So, um, let's talk about the agents and the ISOs. So this has been an interesting challenge, meaning, um, people who sell merchant services, it turns out are generally not super interested or good at selling other stuff. Um, it's been one of the most disappointing things I think for technology companies as they look at our industry is like, there's this huge distribution and then like you never get any of it. So, um, my question to you is, you know, talk to us about, do you have agents and ISOs who are successfully selling merchant services and leveraging Adzi? And if so, where do you see that fitting into the process? Is it a great, you know, hook? Or like when you walk in, is it a afterthought? Is it three months after they start? Like, what are people doing to successfully partner with Adzi that are selling merchant services? Yeah, so that's a really good question. You kind of hit the nail on the head too, because we've struggled with this big time where 
we've had, you know, since we launched and we really have only been to market for about four months or so right. um, because we spent, you know, a considerable amount of time building out the technology. Right. Um, but we've had probably 60 people, you know, sign up on our website to become resellers. And we've spent a lot of time going through demos with 60 different people sure. and, you know, setting them up with our sales force to, you know, get them active. But the reality is we only have a handful that are actually active um, because I really do believe that a lot of people in our industry just struggle with selling on value. You know, they're, they've been taught from day one, go in, get the statements, you know, talk about things like next day funding, talk about, you know, depositing all four card types together. Um, just the, you know, same thing that everybody's out there selling and then save them a hundred bucks. So it's been a challenge and we're trying to figure out like, you know, A, do we keep the channel going or do we just shut it down? Because we got to look at how much time are we spending on the channel versus if we were to just shift to direct sales efforts with internet marketing as a, you know, internet company. Um, So right now we're very open to, you know, having the channel and we're trying to just iron out the kinks on, you know, how do we get these guys active? So one thing we just invested in was our partner portal through Salesforce where we've been um, uploading a lot of like how-to videos, just a lot of content about Adzi and, you know, how it all works. There's a lot of like, you know, key terms and jumbo related to like online marketing. Right. Um, So we're hoping that that's going to help, you know, kind of like streamline the sales process. And one thing we realize is we have to pitch the demos internally um, because if we give pitch decks to someone who we spend, you know, a few days training with and then say, Hey, go out and sell it. Like that's just not going to happen. Right. They can get you, Um, they can get you demos like, but they can't necessarily just, you know, go in there and close deals. Yes. And like, we're not opposed to them pitching it themselves because you know, they're salespeople, they should be able to do that. Um, It's just like early on we say, okay, let us run the first like few demos so that you can kind of understand, you know, how we position the product, kind of use the same, um, you know, language that we use to sell the product. Um, and then once they get a few demos under their belt, you know, a lot of them will say, Hey, can we go, you know, try this ourselves? And then ultimately once someone gets one, you know, demo and close by themselves, that's when the floodgates tend to open. And that's exactly. when we get people who are really active with us. Sure. Um, and sure. then one other thing that's been a big factor that we've gone back and forth on is should we charge a software license fee if the merchant's using our payments? Um, and the thought process there is, you know, a lot of, agents who come to us are like, well, why can't we just match the rates? Because generally speaking, we are matching the rates. Like we're going in and we're saying, yes, we're a software company. We're going to charge you a $99 software license fee, but we're going to save you a hundred dollars a month on your credit card processing so to a, where just a, a wash. Positive. There's no right. incremental cost with us. Sure. Um, so we've kind of gone back and forth. Should we just match the rates and say, forget the software fee? Um, Cause that's going to make our resellers, you know, it's going to make it easier on them. Sure. Well, and I guess too, the, the other area you'd have to, you know, figure out is, as you said, the most common one is the $250 option, which is really what you want. Cause that's where you have a little more control over them seeing results. So, well, you know, it's interesting, John. And the reason I asked that question is because, I kind of figured that would be the answer. I just wanted our listeners to hear that because, you know, one of the things that I really struggle with and something in 2020 that's a, at the top of my list actually is, you know, is really working with these technology companies trying to make this more competitive and get this out to the, the right audience because, you know, our industry as a whole, we have to realize that the core payment processing service is becoming a commodity. And if we don't work with companies like yours, you're going to do exactly what you just said, which is, you know, good night. We're spending all this money on these resellers. They're not doing anything. Let's just do this ourselves. And what's happening is more and more companies are doing that. 
And so our whole, you know, uh, our industry strength is our distribution. The fact that we do have thousands, tens of thousands of people that are talking to business owners every day, but we have to learn as an industry to leverage that. So if you're an ISO manager that's listening right now, this should be a big wake up call of here's a guy who's built what I believe is an amazing software. It's, it's actually something that really does integrate with payments and it's a natural pitch of, Hey, we need your payment processing because we need that that transaction. We need that data at the point of sale to help your Facebook ads be more competitive. That is a killer pitch that's integrated into payments, and yet it's still a challenge to find resellers in this industry. So with all that being said, John, I know some of our listeners are like, hey, I want to sell this. So where would you send them to learn more about the opportunity with Adsy? Yeah, if you just go on our website, which is adzy, which is adsy.com, there's a partner tab on the navigation, and then there's um, options for both ISO and agent and as uh, for ad agencies as well. So if you just click on that, there's a form you can fill out. Um, and just while we're on the subject, you know, we are very competitive with, um, you know, like hardware placements. So if you're selling Point or Clover Minis, um, we'll actually place them for just 20 bucks a month for the merchant. We'll usually save them 20 bucks to where it's a total wash. So for like our direct sales, like it's so easy for us to go in and take the business. So I do think there's a big opportunity for us to work with the ISOs and the agents. And we don't want to neglect that distribution that you speak of, James, because we came from that side. So right, exactly. we want to partner it's with a, these a, people it's a natural and um, fit. You we're just excited find... about the opportunity. Yeah, that's great. So if you're if you're listening right now and you say, you know what, I've been you know on the outskirts and I'm I haven't really decided to sell this marketing stuff. Um, if you want to do that, go to Adzy A D S Z Y Adzy.com. Click on uh, partner there. And again, if you're an ISO, um, Adzy can work with you on that side. And if you're an agent, uh, they can work with you there. So John, thank you so much for your time and your insights today. Really appreciate it. Great interview, and I know our listeners are going to get a lot of value from it. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For the past 36 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at greensheet.com. Well, James, I just completed a, a beginning of the year article for the Green Sheet on payment trends. Mm-hmm. And one of the trends that uh, seems ready to take off is uh, contactless. Really? Which, yeah, and I, and I thought this was really interesting. I did a lot of research on this. And, uh, you know, the, the, the stars seem to be aligning. And uh, let me just sort of... Yeah, I'm interested to hear this yeah. one. Yeah. You know, the underlying technology here, of course, is near-field communication, or NFC for short. Mm-hmm. And NFC allows for the exchange of data between a smartphone or a contactless card and a POS device. You know, the biggest impediment until recently has been the a lack of NFC terminals, but that's begun to change. Sure, all the smart terminals. All the smart terminals and mm-hmm. the EMV, you know, makes sure. it much, much easier. Sure. And, um, and you know, and also... Um, some new workarounds right. that have emerged. Now, one w- recent workaround announced by Visa is a smartphone app. It turns a smartphone into a tap-and-go payment device. Hmm. So, you know, you have your smartphone. I take yeah. my co- phone or card, and I tap it against your phone. Uh, it's been working with Samsung on this. Huh. And says the app is well-suited to a variety of use cases, including, which I thought was interesting, food trucks. Okay, sure, sure. Kiosks. Yep. 
self-employed professionals. Sure, a lot of people that are using the the, the swiper dongle kind of right? thing. Right. Yeah. Sure. Exactly. I mean, interesting. Very interesting. You know, and as we you know we we've talked about in the past, the migration to EMV has created a lot of momentum. It has. Yes. Um, New. When you say that, you mean are you saying a lot of momentum of like newer terminals that are being installed, right. which the newer all which terminals are EMV, that, but they're also NFC. But also NFC. Okay, got it. Exactly. Yep. Okay. So you know you have so much of that going on right now. Right. A lot of major retailers, including Target and CVS are now accepting contactless pay- payments. Got it. And according to some estimates, which I think might be a little high, but when you look at all of the new terminals that have been installed, mm-hmm. particularly by the big retailers, yep. as many as 60% of retail purchases now occur at POS devices that support contactless payments. That actually seems about right to me. I, yeah. You know, I guess it does. Um, I just, something, you know, and the other thing that, also contributes to this, and yeah. this is why I would think it's more logical now, mm-hmm. is um, all of the metropolitan transit authorities that are installing contactless sure. terminals now. Sure. I was in New York um, last month, and it was so cool, you know, watching mm-hmm. everybody take their phone and tapping the, the turnstile, yep. you know? Yep. It's like, that's when I really wished I had had it. Right. <laughs> you know? So, um, hmm. you know, Chicago, New York, Portland, Oregon are three of the big ones that, that, are, I, that are doing this. That now. are doing this. Well, I think the other thing too, kind of going back to your point a second ago. I mean, <clears throat> about the sixty percent. I, I agree that sixty percent of the transactions are taking place on a terminal where that it has hardware to accept hardware NFC. To accept, exactly. It doesn't mean they have the software downloaded to make it work. And that's where that's where I was taking a little bit of yeah, exception with that yeah. number. Mm-hmm. Okay, because yeah. I don't think yeah, they I all agree. have the software. Yeah, I agree. Um, <laughs> but here's a, you know some the people I spoke with um, when I was doing my research. Seem to suggest that um, contactless payments using mobile wallets are going to ex- eclipse contactless card payments. Okay. And it's interesting because I know <clears throat> you and I have talked about this in the past and the idea that contactless cards, you know, you got the card, the plastic right. card, and right. everybody's used to it, right? right? But it seems that really it's a familiarity factor. Consumers are already using mobile wallets like Apple Pay and Samsung right, Pay right. for contactless payments. Right. Contactless cards are still pretty rare. Right. At least here in, in the U.S. market. Right, right. And um, although several major issuers like B of A, Chase, and Wells Fargo have announced plans to start issuing contactless cards this year. Oh, wow. Okay. So when you have B of A, Chase, and Wells, I mean, those are those pretty are, big issuers. That's huge. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So I think we may see some, but I, but, you know, the sense I get from people is, and, and I had to kind of, I had to kind of absorb this, but it's like, you know, I've talked to you about this. You use your phone for, you know, mm-hmm. for paper, you know, a lot of people, especially younger right, than right, me, right. are using their phones. Right. And so if you're already used to using your phone, why would you go into your wallet to pull out a contactless card? No, and I, yeah, and I think the trend that they're trying to go after there is that, I don't know about everybody else, but I mean, there was a, in my opinion, there was a pretty big convenience difference in swiping your card versus now leaving it inserted. Exactly. And that's, that was the point I was going to make yeah. as well. Is yeah. that and I mean, I do, that is annoying to me. When I go somewhere and they don't take the, the uh, you know, phone, like a mobile right? payment, like Apple Pay or something. Right. Um, it is super annoying because I have to leave my card in there, which I know everybody's like, well, who cares? It's not that big but of a deal. But how many times have you almost forgotten your card? Yeah, you have that issue. But even for me, it's just the time of like, and it's so funny. I think there's so much about like if you actually look at your own behavior and the way that you as a consumer, mm-hmm. you'll understand these trends. Like for me, if I'm at a counter and I am waiting for somebody to finish ringing something up, what am I doing? Am I standing there with a blank look on my face? No, I'm on my phone. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I'm answering an email or a text message. Mm-hmm. So then when they say, okay, we're, you know, now it's time for me to put my card in. Well, I put my card in and I have to keep looking have at to this sit thing. sit there and stare at the... And I hate right. that. And you're oh, like, well, James, too. it's only 12 seconds. I know, but I do it like 14 times a day or whatever. It just is really and, gets frustrating. And it also, even though I know intuitively that it's safer to right. put it in, it was just so much easier when I just swiped. You swiped it, yes. Right? It's yeah. so much simpler just right. like the phone. Right. A swipe so, is similar to a tap. It is. And so I think to me, well, I think a tap's even easier. It should be, hopefully. should be. So to me, it's like, that's cool because I think now it'll be better because I will definitely be the first one in line to get all my con- all my cards contactless. Right. Even though I use Apple Pay because I know a lot of merchants don't accept Apple Pay. Right, But right. they But they might actually accept the, but I guess that's a good question. Will there be a lot of merchants where you could use your contactless card where you couldn't use something like Apple Pay though? I would think that that would not be... The case, right? The case. Because if you take NFC, you're taking NFC. NFC, then why aren't you taking the card? Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I mm. mean, you can easily just as easily do both of them. Right, right. But but I'm sure there'll be. A, I'm sure there's. I would say there's probably a lot more people who are like me who are frustrated with their the the whole chip. You know, insert right. the chip. Oh, I know there are. Yeah. But but who are not like me, meaning they would not use Apple Pay. And that's probably you know that's it's who interesting. Going after. Yeah, I think that that's interesting because you're right. You know, people my age, right. Mm. We've had these discussions when I'm with right. my friends because I know this is what I do. Right. And, you know, and it's, all of them are like, I hate that I have to leave the darn card in there. Right. But, <coughs> excuse me, I feel better because I know it's more secure. Yes. So right. with them tapping the yeah, card. They'll know it's secure. They'll and, know it's yeah. secure. Mm. With the phone. Sure. There's not that ease necessarily. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, interesting. So, so this leads me to the second trend that I wanted to bring up, and that's okay. mobile payments. Right. You know, mobile, in many respects, is becoming a mature channel. You know, we're seeing a lot of activity in mobile P2P payments. Yes. And uh, that's likely to have spill over into the P2B arena. Mm-hmm. Sure. Obviously. You know, and as some people pointed out to me, you know, you're gonna, you may see more micro-merchants accepting mobile payments because it, it helps them to avoid... The you know they're using like a Zelle oh, or sure. Venmo Just to avoid the fees to avoid the fees sure you know sure so the the pig obviously the you know PayPal and and Zelle are the two biggest names in mobile payments mm-hmm. these days and Zelle uh, PayPal owns Venmo Zelle is owned by a consortium of the large banks right all, all the largest banks right um, now here's an interesting thing. Um, Zelle claims that one of every two adults in, with U.S. bank accounts has access to the Zelle mobile banking app. So I did, tried to do a calculation in my head. Okay, there's 10% of the U.S. of the adult U.S. population is unbanked. Right. So you figure adults. Okay, we had 300 million. Isn't that yes, roughly, roughly it? Yes, mm-hmm. roughly. Right. Right. So adults maybe make uh, 150 to 180 million. Right. Take 10% of that off. That's like roughly 160 million. Let's yeah. just say. Right. Half of them, 80 million. Well, and I don't understand. Why would the other half not have access to it? What do well, they mean? Well, that, like, and that's what that's where the case is because if you look at Zelle, right. right B of A, City, PNC, mm-hmm. Wells, all the largest banks, right. but not the credit unions and the community banks. Right, right. They're still slow to get on. Like, I have friends that'll say to me, oh, you know, can I sell you that money? I'm like, actually, my credit union doesn't do so. Can you Venmo it to me? Right. <laughs> you right. know? Right. So that's yeah. what, what you know makes me just a little bit quizzical on that. And yeah. then the other thing that I thought was interesting is... Um, 
uh, eMarketer.com, they do a lot of stats yes. and so mm-hmm. forth, right? They've estimated that there were a total of 69.2 million P2P users last year. And Venmo says its user base is 40 million. Well, that only leaves hmm. a very small yeah. share for, for Zelle. Or, so, or unless are the same people, are people having both? Well, this is the thing. It's like, it's the, this is where I think it is, the way Zelle kind of played Plays it. Plays the numbers, yeah. Yeah. It's with access to. Right. doesn't mean they have it. doesn't mean they have it. Right, of course. Right? You know, what, the hard number that we know is that 40 million people have the Venmo app. Right. Right? Right. Um, and maybe, maybe 40 million have the Zelle. the Zelle app. Right. And there's probably a lot of crossover between them. And there's probably crossover between them. But, sure. you know, I just think that, hmm. you know, the Zelle just doesn't, the data just doesn't square with my right. math. Right. But I agree. But that, even that aside, the fact that we have close to 70 million people using P2P it's pretty cool. payments is pretty cool. Yeah, it is. So, hmm. Um, and I also wanted to make a mention um, of uh, Square. Okay. Because we can't not talk about right. Square. Sure. And, you know, it also has entered the P2P field with, sure, that with their cash, cash app, app. Right? Yep. Yep. Ironically, my friends all use that one. I don't know why. Really? That's, I don't know anybody who does. Yeah, actually. it's weird. I don't know. And it's funny, like, when you every time you talk about it, you're like Venmo and Zelle. I've never used either. Uh-huh. But I use Cash app all the time. I use so, Venmo I actually know. all the time. It's funny because I have a. A crop of nieces and nephews that went off to college this year. Sure. So I, they all have Venmo, you know. So Aunt Patty right. sends them. Sends you know, them yeah. So much easier. Whereas yeah. you know the crop of nieces and nephews twenty years ago, I'd have to send them cash in an envelope. Or cash or right. Now sure. I just like, hey guys, have you know have pizza on Aunt Patty this weekend right. or whatever, That's right? Cool. Yeah. So I kind of like that. I have to. Admit. Yeah, definitely. And they all the kids do. You know, younger people do have the Venmo thing. Right. But I don't know anybody with Cash App. But what I thought was interesting is they have this Cash for Business. Have you heard about that? I have not. No. It's a new iteration of their Cash App, which you can link to your business bank account. Oh. See, because Venmo and Zelle, you can't necessarily right. link to okay. it. Okay. Okay. And so they, you can actually set up a cash.me page. Okay. Where your customers can submit payments. For free? Well, it's free until you get your money. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, the customer is not going to pay for well, it. Well, right, but the business still pays. But the business will pay for it. So what's the, what's the advantage of that over a normal gateway? Getting a little bit, you know, just... Just a little bit more cachet, I think. Oh, okay. and, and the other thing is hmm. that what they've done is they've tied this prepaid debit card to it. Oh, oh, okay. Okay, so that you can get the money loaded onto the prepaid debit card, <sighs> yeah. therefore getting it faster than you would get it otherwise. It's interesting. I don't know. I'll be interested to see if anything if that has any legs. That's yeah, I, I, cool, I, I, but, I, I thought mean, it, you know, to me, I thought like it was a, a little clunky. Gimmick. Yeah. You know, like if I'm running a, yeah. a business, do I really want that money put on a prepaid card? Right. And that then what do I have odd. to do? Like take that prepaid yeah. card, go get the cash, and then go put it in my bank account? Right, right. Yeah, it I don't just, know. That seems a little strange to me. It seemed clunky to me, but. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, um, so what else did I want to talk about? Oh, um, anyway, I think that um, that pretty much that pretty yeah, much it's, sums it it's up. It's just really I interesting just, to see all those different trends because I think, um, you know, I think – 
you know, it's it's possible if there is some kind of an external disruptor in our industry, it'll be one of those players probably oh, yeah. or, or something like it. Yeah. You and know, I, if, if Zelle comes out with their accept payments for free, you know, which I mean, obviously that would be there that would be, be some the, other way that they're making money. Right. Of course. But I mean, but that, that that would be the big external thing, you know. Yeah. But I think, you know, the really the sort of my bottom line to all this and I did have a, a stat here and I know I sometimes throw out too many stats, but <laughs> just to put it in perspective, yeah. because we talked uh, last week about the Fed and right, how right. many payments were made. What did we say? It was uh, something. Um, hold on. I, I had it here a minute ago. Uh, I think it, we said uh, something like uh, you talking about the total amount of payment, non-card payments. Well, I was going to just say card, say card not present and card present were about seven point five trillion, right? Trillion, right? Yeah, right. So to put that in perspective, P two P mobile payments last year were about three hundred and ten billion. Okay, so I mean it's starting to get there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that's, that's a and amount. eMarketer is expecting, um, and that's the, very similar. If I remember correctly, I think um, prepaid cards was about four hundred billion. Right, right. So it's very, it's, so it's very, very much in, in, pre, in line with, with that. Yeah, right. Okay. And and eMarketer is predicting about seventy four million users this year. Wow. Okay. So you know, to me, you know, it's starting to look like real money. Yeah. You know, mobile is clearly maturing. Right. Contactless are maturing. Right. Is maturing, and you know, merchants who who aren't there already right need to play catch up yeah and mm. if you know you're out there selling the merchants and and they're not doing you know right that i uh, that's a good that's a you know, to me that's a that's a good entree for yeah. you yeah definitely you know, i go back to something you said which i always think is a really cool idea you know how to sell somebody you know take out your phone how to sell somebody on right. mobile take on, out your on phone apple pay, yeah yeah and say yep. hey do you do apple pay right Yep, that's a great opener. So, well, really interesting stuff. Be fun to kind of watch these trends and see how they progress. Yeah, yeah, but I do think you know the P two P thing. My 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 sense of that is, it gets people more used to using mobile. It gets mm -hmm. people more sure. used to these new ways, so that it can the spillover to the to the person, the business, consumer right. to business is just going to be that much easier. Yeah, yeah. Well, good stuff, Patty. Thanks. Mm -hmm. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com. With over 30 training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis, ISOs are using our learning management system to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the OptiBlue program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field, and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com to learn more. So, Patty, we're doing this uh, mini-series on how to build a merchant sales team. Uh, yes. Last week, I started talking about recruiting. And now we're going to complete, uh, do another segment on yeah, that, right? It's, yeah, so it's funny. Right before this, I'm like I'm like scrolling down through my ebook to figure out what I want to cover. Um, and uh, the truth is, I'm going to cover a very, very tiny fraction of this. So, please do go to ccsalespro.com slash team. It's a free ebook on how to build your merchant sales team. Um, it, it's just free. So, go download and, it. You know, no even if it wasn't free, it's a great resource. Well, thank you. 
So you should definitely get it. All right. So let's dive in here. So we talked last week about the four types of agents. We right. talked about people with no sales experience, no business experience, don't recruit them. Right. People with business experience, no sales experience, recruit them if they're going to be committed and full time. Make sure they're committed. People with sales experience, but no merchant sales experience, recruit them, but make sure you have a timeline in place and that you're not unnecessarily investing time when they're not committed. Right. Um, and of course, training and all that matters, which we'll talk more about. Um, and then finally, number four, we talked about experienced bank card professionals that are already doing deals, which can be a goldmine for you if you have really competitive compensation, a full suite of products and services and solutions for them to offer, and amazing support. Right. If you don't have those three things, they're not going to stick with you. So don't waste your time. Today, I want to talk about, okay, you chose, you know, which group you want to go after. I think that's an important thing to start with is choose. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one ISO could have multiple teams. Sure. But each sales team should be made up of one and only one of the groups I just mentioned a second ago. Yes. Now, I will sometimes put the people with business experience and no merchant services experience together with the people that have sales experience and no merchant services. But even there, I find that it can be very frustrating because the people that have that business experience but no like direct sales, mm -hmm. they're selling in a very different way and they really need different training and different focus. Yeah, I would imagine. You know, um, but once you've chosen, you know, this is the group I want to go after, your next step is that you need to invent a value proposition, Okay. So whether you're an individual recruiter or you represent a larger ISO, um, you have a brand. This simply means that, you know, your company stands for something. Sure. Okay. And, you know, the question is, why should agents join your team and then why should they stay? Mm -hmm. um, so I really would encourage you. It's so easy, this little step to be like, well, duh. You know, of course, we didn't have a value proposition. Well, if your value proposition is, well, we are we resell Clover and we have really good support. That is not a unique value proposition. That's what everybody has. Everybody has that, yeah. Right? So what you really have to dig down deep in and say to yourself is, okay, what is that one thing that we can do for that one agent type that's going to make them more money, that's going to make them happier, that's going to make their life easier? What can we do that our competitors can't do? Mm -hmm. And whatever that is, got to zoom in and you know, really zero in and focus on that. Uh -huh. Okay? So once you have a value proposition, now it's time to introduce your brand. So you know who you want to target, you know what you want to target them with, your, your right. unique value proposition. Now it's like, okay, how do I do that? So everybody's using Indeed or Monster.com or whatever, and these can be good, um, but the problem is the approach. The approach is very much an outbound approach, and, and right. that's, that's you don't need to do that. In other words, if you're spinning, you know, if you're a recruiter, you're trying to build a team, and you're like, Oh, I'm just beating my head against the wall all day trying to convince people to join my team. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That tells me that either you don't have a unique value proposition or you're presenting it to the wrong person, right? Right? Or you're presenting it to them in the wrong way and they're not even aware of your unique yeah. value proposition. Yeah. So what should be happening is that you should be presenting people with a unique value proposition and they should be saying, that's what I want. I'm going to reach out and inquire about this. Right. I have personally recruited probably around a thousand agents in this industry, um, you know, back as far as, you know, I had my own ISO five years ago and, uh -huh. and before. And so I recruited about a thousand agents. Never in that entire time of recruiting a thousand agents did I ever make an outbound call to any agent that did not first reach out to me and ask me about joining the team. 
Uh-huh. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, how do you do that? Well, it's actually not as hard as you would think, okay? You can use webinars, you can use ebooks. Mm-hmm. Those are both very, very powerful, but the idea is create some kind of content Right. That really speaks to that unique value proposition. So, for instance, maybe you have a sales rep that's been with you for like a year and she's making four thousand a month residual Mm -hmm. brand new to the industry. Mm -hmm. Right. Get her to do a webinar where you interview her on this webinar and ask her, what did she do? Her keys to success. Yeah. You know, talk about her experience with your company, et cetera. Right. Now you have a webinar entitled how to get 4,000 a month in residual in your first year. Right. Now you can go on monster indeed, whatever. I think Facebook is more effective for this, but that's fine. But what you can do is you can go on these platforms and you can now say, I'm not even, I'm not asking if you are, I'm not trying to recruit you. Uh I want you to go ahead and go through this webinar to see if you think we would be a good fit for you. And if it is reach out and let us know. Uh-huh. Right. Uh-huh. Get them through the webinar when they go through that and they're like, wow, that's cool. I, I really want to be part of that company. You know, right. maybe you're going after experienced bank card reps. OK, cool. So do you have somebody that maybe is like the expert in your company at selling Clover? Right. And they just sell Clover to everybody. OK, get them to write an ebook. Have them work with a copywriter. Hire Patty over here, right? Right. The writing. Have somebody that's a professional work with this person to write down a cohesive version of their path to success with this. Now you have an ebook called How to Sell Clover. Right. Do you think that experienced bank card reps would download an ebook called How to Sell Clover by an expert? Would. You better believe it. And every time they do, you've now got a lead. Right. Now you can send them emails about your company, about mm-hmm. your compensation, weave that story into the ebook, and now they're going to be reaching out to you. Hey, you know what? I really do want to sell Clover. I love how you have this program set up. I would like to sell Clover for you. So the idea is you want to introduce your brand. I got to keep moving here. I got too much information. So um, ideas. So, um, well, you know, I'll skip that. Let's just go down here and talk about now you're ready to recruit. Okay. So once you're ready to recruit, um, you're going to, again, you're now going to get these inbound leads. Okay. Now what you want to do is you're going to be putting some qualifications and some barriers up. Okay. Okay. Our industry as a whole has not figured out that when you get a really good sales professional on the phone and you say to them, well, yeah, we would love to have you on board. And, and they're like, well, I didn't tell you anything about myself. Right. <laughs> like, Well, you're breathing. Yeah. So we want you. <laughs> you have a pulse. You know, and that just tells them, wow, this team must be made up of some really terrible people. Right. 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 Instead of that, you got to put some barriers up, put some qualifications in place. OK, for instance, if this is a person that has sales experience, but no bank card experience. How do you know they have sales experience? Well, yeah. What have you sold and how much have yes. you sold? And maybe even give me two references mm-hmm. and I'll call them up, right? Um, doing background checks, you know, investigating. Background checks, I think, are huge. really huge. Yes. yes. And let them know. We do background checks. Like, yeah. you know, you need to make sure these people understand that there's a process. Maybe do two or three interview calls, have different people talk to them mm-hmm. and make sure. And I, and I tell people, you don't know, say, look, if you want to get started selling merchant services tomorrow, I can, I'll give you the name of 10 of my competitors right. that will take anybody that's warm and breathing air. Right. If that's what you want, go for it. We are exclusive. And, we and provide support. like We do a lot. Right. And just to kind of go back to your background checks, because I, I was thinking yes. of that when you mentioned that. Because to me, the t- type of background check you're talking about is just not whether this guy has a criminal no. record. or no. you know. I mean, you want to know, okay, if they've worked 
you know, with in this industry or yes. in another industry? What's their reputation exactly with their clients and yes. with their their and this can be partners, and this can be right? tricky because a lot of times an experienced rep won't want to give you the name of their current process or they sell sure. obviously right right. But what you can do is um, and I talk about this in the ebook that. Uh, most acquirers actually maintain a list of blacklisted right. agents and offices. Right. And so whoever your acquirer is, you know, maybe you're a sub, sub, sub ISO of First Data. Uh-huh. Well, that means First Data has this list. So, right. you know, reach out to them and go through the proper channels and find out and say, hey, can I submit this name to you? And so you would check this person out. Mm, okay. But most of these big acquirers, they have lists of these people that they share with each other. Okay. You know, I'm talking about WorldPay, First Data, Tesis, Elevon. And so usually you can you can get that kind of extra background check to just make sure it's an industry check as well as a background Right. Check. Yeah, yeah, because that would be very important in yeah. my mind. But the bottom line is, put all this stuff together, and now you've got a recruiting process where people are coming to you, mm-hmm. they want to sell for you, right? And you might let them. Excellent. Yeah. Rather than right? rather than what happens in our industry right now, which is we're desperately trying to convince people to sell for us and telling them that we'll take anybody. Right. That's the wrong way to do it. Check out the ebook, ccsalespro.com slash team. I got a bunch of other stuff in there. I had to skip over to make this short enough for a, a, a little episode. It's a great book, everybody. <laughs> Please download it. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.